Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here at Kiewer State Vineyards. It's uh, July 9th, uh, 2019. We're here with Gabby and Craig Kiewer. Thanks so much for joining us today, you guys. This is, we really appreciate this. Um, we'll start by asking, uh, why wine? Go ahead. <laughs> why wine? Actually, out of necessity. Um, we uh, bought a large piece of property in 89, right here in Amity and uh, originally raised sheep out here. Um, that, wasn't, um, that was also out of necessity because it came from 4-H and FFA projects for our, from our children. And uh, then we um, ended up with 200 head of sheep <laughs> and had to pl find a place uh, to um, keep them. And so we bought this property. It's about 200 acres um, here. It was an abandoned um, uh, uh, fruit orchard and also a cattle ranch, right? With a burned down house. And so we moved in here with um, uh, two children and uh, two Great Danes in a motorhome. <laughs> so, and then uh, started working on this abandoned property. Um, I. Uh, um, then we, um, when the children left, the sheep had to go. I was not about to have any more four-legged items in my vineyard. I mean, in, on my property, mm -hmm. I've had it. Uh, a dog was just fine. That was the only four-legged <laughs> animal I wanted to have. So um, uh, then we um, lived on the East Coast for about five years because we have another business in the wood industry. Mm -hmm. And um, as they say in the wine industry, and that sh I should say that a little later, never give up your day job, right? <laughs> so um, we were lucky to keep our property and have somebody take care of it here. And when we came back in um, 06, um, we uh, said we got to do something with this with this property and what should we do and so that's when we looked around and saw some of the other vineyards popping up and mm -hmm. some that had been already planted and we thought now let's see we got great elevation anywhere from 240 to about 650 mm -hmm. uh, we got a great exposure south southwest exposure and um, um, so uh, it might just not be a bad place to grow grapes mm -hmm. and so we had this the soil tested and then um, I said we don't know anything about growing grapes so I sent Craig to Shemekeda <laughs> for two years to learn viticulture and uh, he'd come home every time after his classes and tell me all about it and share with me but that is how he how we started to learn about it and um, um, i the only connection that i have with wine is that my grandfather in germany where i was born and raised um, was a wine merchant 
and um, before the war he would uh, travel around all of the um, Mediterranean uh, areas and uh, the wineries there he would buy the, the wines mm -hmm. directly from the winemakers mm -hmm. and then bring them back and sell them in wine shops and so wine was always a special thing at our family and um, the Sunday meal was a special thing. Every Sunday, my mother would bring out a good bottle of wine <clears throat> and we children would have to listen to her story uh, and were bored to death <laughs> uh, about the region it came from. Sometimes we knew the name of the winemaker and the delightful thing of the whole long story and explanation and learning process was that we had could have a little sip of the wine. <laughs> so this is how go we got kind of started. Mm -hmm. um, you want to take over a little bit from there? I don't want to only talk myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she kind of explained how the transition was, mm -hmm. but um, my, personally, I was raised on a farm in Iowa, mm -hmm. so I always liked farming, never was able to do it, um, continued on in, in, because of costs related to buying farms and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I actually continued on to school, uh, wanted to be an electrical engineer. I went to a couple different universities. Finally, uh, it would have been in the late 60s. Um, Warehouser. I, I had to work through the summer mm -hmm. to go to school. Mm -hmm. I had a night job at the sawmill and a plywood mill just to pay for college in Eugene. And I was going to Oregon. And I met the hardwood side of the business there and they wanted me to just finish school and go to work for them. Mm -hmm. And since it was a good opportunity, I said, okay, well, I'll try that. And so I went to work for Warehouser Canada Limited in their Canadian operation. And uh, they moved us around a little bit and we were in New Orleans for a couple of years and traveling the deep south. And we always wanted to come back to Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so I had an opportunity to come back to Oregon and so we came back and we started our own company mm -hmm. and which developed over a period of time to a hardwood veneer splicing plant to an architectural plywood mill uh, making all sorts of uh, not just architectural panels furniture desk parts mm -hmm. we put in a new membrane press we had the most modern equipment and i continued to do that uh, until mid-90s mm -hmm. And then we sold the factory and uh, had no competes, but I helped uh, another company, Brandes, start another factory uh, called Superior Hardwoods in, in Corvallis. And I stayed there for a couple years and I decided that I really struggled to stay with the group. Um, we were we were just different we had a different makeup mm -hmm. you might say mm -hmm. and so we left and but I still had the no competes and at the same time our farm was here and our daughter uh, Kavi said it kind of kindly but she decided later on in life that boys were more interesting than sheep 
And she announced one Thank day she, God. <laughs> she wanted to divest of the whole flock, which was a purebred Hampshire flock. And uh, one thing she didn't mention, she showed it. Oklahoma Black and White, Top of the Rockies. She was in Cal Palace. Mm -hmm. She showed a national show in Louisville. She was in the top ten. She won twice, a couple classes. Um, so she did really well, but she had no interest in it at, at the very end. And so we got rid of the sheep. Uh, in the meantime, we built two barns for them, new. And we had paddocks here for them to go out on. And when we got rid of them, then everything was empty. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, in 2000, another factory, a company I, that used to uh, supply us with hardwood products, another slicing mill in Montreal, mm -hmm. General Woods and Veneer, wanted me to go back and see if I could help them start a new veneer mill on the East Coast. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that, but I thought, oh, it'll be interesting to do it with somebody else's money, <laughs> you know, not be liable for it. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't always turn out that way, but I went back there and we uh, put in a brand new veneer mill in West Virginia uh, called Spencer Veneer. And I thought we'd be there about a year. Of course, at that point, the place is vacant. And it took less than a year to get one slicer running. We ended up with six slicers, dryers, clip lines, splicing equipment, sawmill, uh, bull mill, and they didn't have a GM. And I was expecting them to bring in personnel. Um, but I actually knew about the industry and mm -hmm. how to run most of the equipment. So we ended up staying there almost six years. And, that, and at that point, the place was vacant. Mm -hmm. So, and she was correct, in 2006, we came back, the place was a mess, you can imagine, and a lot of briar bushes, uh, everything overgrown. Mm -hmm. So we started to take everything out. And me personally, I wanted to try to put a vineyard in it, clear back in 2000. Mm -hmm. Thought that would be a good application for the site. Um, but because we're gone, that, that dream or that thought just went stationary. Mm -hmm. um, so I come back, we cleaned it all up, started taking classes, uh, night classes at Chemeketa. Um, 2007, we started planning our first blocks, which are behind us, block one, two, and three. And uh, we planted it ourselves. We brought in uh, one person to help us. Mm -hmm. And we laid it out ourselves, and we had to decide what kind of trellis systems there were, what kind of rootstock we're going to have, and all that was a very fast learning process. Mm -hmm. But it didn't bother me because you have to learn t to run factories. Mm -hmm. So to me, this was not a factory, but it allowed us to be in the agricultural side of it, which is where I was raised. Mm -hmm. It allowed us to use the property to an extent that it should be you know, profitable mm -hmm. and something that belonged here. Because uh, it's not a, this thing is not a, a site for a grass field or anything like that, and uh, we had no interest in animal husbandry and those kind of things. No, we definitely were, we not. We were done with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we started putting the vineyard in, mm -hmm. yeah. and I thought it would be a process. At the same time, I started another company in the hardwood business because I could, and uh, we import hardwood 
products, raw materials for the West Coast hardwood mills mm -hmm. that we used to compete with, so I know them very well. And uh, uh, also for OEMs and people like that. Mm -hmm. And that business still operates. It's called Amico Forest Products. And uh, we still bring in the raw materials. Um, and it's also been the business that supplemented the ability to do what we've done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have cash to, <laughs> to be in this business. Mm -hmm. um, so consequently, we, we buried all our money in the dirt. <laughs> That's how we say it. And uh, we just kept going. And by 2010, we had a small crop. We tried to make wine into different winery, but that didn't work out very well. They ended up blending us with some other wine. Oh, no. And so we lost the first one. So 2011 was our first official release of wine. Mm -hmm. And the original concept was just to sell fruit, mm -hmm. even you didn't sell fruit to the wineries. Mm -hmm. um, I'll step back to when we started to plant. I wanted it to be of the highest standards it could be. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at, okay, we want to be organic. <clears throat> How are we going to maintain this whole place organically? But uh, actually in organics, the whole farm doesn't have to be in. So uh, I kept looking at biodynamics, what's that? And it was the first fully sustainable program that we could see that was started in Germany. And it was a whole farm input. You, anything you did in the vineyard, you had to do within the whole area. And I thought that's quite interesting, so you buy books, you read about it. Mm -hmm. And as we started buying vines and putting them in, I was discouraged to go the direction I was going. Mm -hmm. And they said, you won't make any more money at it, it's going to cost you more money, mm -hmm. it's uh, <coughs> you do better if you farm commercially. I said, well, it isn't just about money. It's really about the property and the desire and, and the standards you're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. And we want to separate ourselves from the pack. You know, everybody can farm commercially. Uh, it's really not what we want to do. Mm -hmm. But what we really want is everybody to farm not commercially uh, or conventional method. We would like to spread the word that everybody uh, changes over to at least organic. And if, but why bother with organic when you can be biodynamic? Yeah. That's like being half pregnant and not totally <laughs> pregnant. That's how I look at it. Okay, so I am. We are spreading the word mm -hmm. around here. We're mm -hmm. also a a, 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 vine, a teaching vineyard, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and we're very passionate about um, farming without uh, chemicals and pesticides. Mm -hmm. Well, the more you learn, the more direction that direction you go. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. For instance, the Chemeketa classes now come here. It seems interesting for me because. One of the instructors was my instructor, mm -hmm. and here she's bringing students, and we're putting on, um, what would you call it? A classes. Classes, mm -hmm. I guess, for them, mm -hmm. and taking them through all the things that I had to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't I was a 30-year veteran at it. <laughs> it's just something that you had to focus on and learn and apply, mm -hmm. and then see how it works. Mm -hmm. And I will say that... You know, biodynamics, as an example, 
is even scoffed at within the, within the colleges, within mm -hmm. the programs. They don't totally understand what it is. There are some different things with it. Why would you bury a cow horn in the dirt and dig it up and you know in the spring? I understand, mm -hmm. but you got to look beyond that. What's the biology of this thing? Why is it that way? Mm -hmm. Does it work? Mm -hmm. Okay, prove it works. Mm -hmm. And that's the process we've been through. Mm -hmm. I have extensive books. I have records on this place from day one. Mm -hmm. I have, um, you'd probably be a little surprised on the detail that we carry. Um, we're constantly checking the soils. We're constantly checking the plant tissue. We're watching it, and um, when you look at the records, you can see where we started, where we had deficiencies. Mm -hmm. You can see now today, you look at the soil report, and a commercial operation, name only, Wilco, would say, well, you need to add sock rock phosphate, you need to add these things to the ground, but the plant takes up very small percentages of these things, mm -hmm. and you can put that all on the ground, but if it's not accessible to the plant, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the plant shows deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So you work on the soil and you work on, and to get the biology of the soil there so the plant then is healthy and it's all about health, mm -hmm. plant health and soil health. Mm -hmm. And so we've learned that and that's something that we like to share mm -hmm. and we understand that uh, organic word is um, more understood mm -hmm. than biodynamics. But biodynamics is homeopathic. It's a step ahead of organics. It's a little bit more difficult to control because organics allows you more commercial mm -hmm. items in your, in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think you can look around here. You see the plants are healthy. Um, where we make our own teas, mm -hmm. although we do use some commercial products. I'll, I'll not say we don't. Uh, but they are approved by... Well, they're all uh, armory approved. Armory approved, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're talking about kelp and humusol, humic acid, mm -hmm. you know, natural things. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not talking about chemically driven no. products. No. Uh, but we've, we've come this far. Mm -hmm. And I think we're lucky that what we did in the onset uh, proved to be okay. Mm -hmm. The spacing of the vineyard, the plant tissue that we used, the kind of rootstock we used. Uh, I'll say if you ever take class that will benefit you the most in this, it's your soil class. <laughs> Period. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to understand that part mm -hmm. extremely well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also so, another, I got to interrupt you yeah. just a minute. There's another side to it, too, mm -hmm. of um, why we are not using chemicals and pesticides on our property is that the people that come here are coming to a healthy environment. Mm -hmm. And the, my workforce that is here is working in a very healthy environment. And that, to me, is extremely important. We are sitting out here in our grove where we take our tasting room during the summer out here. And my most delightful thing is um, I make my staff come out and take a look at this when two young mothers come with their babies 
and they spread out a blanket in the shade and the babies are lying on that blanket and playing around and making all these delightful uh, sounds. Um, and the two young mothers are having a little glass of wine. Um, to me, that is the most delightful sight. Um, moms that needed to get away from home and didn't have somebody to leave the babies with, <laughs> but the babies were here and they were in a wonderful environment that was of no danger to them health-wise. And that to me, I'm very, very passionate about. That's why we encourage people also, we're family friendly of, and we're dog friendly. We have a Pinot and puppy club that they can join. All these crazy things, but it delights me <clears throat> and it's part of, of um, our whole, um, how do I want to say, our whole um, being, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. the, the, my motto is, has always been is, um, when people come to uh, Keeler Estate, they leave their worries behind outside the gate. Once they enter our place, you know, they see all the plantings that make this beautiful ecosystem. And um, then, <clears throat> um, then they, um, sorry, I, I just had a senior moment. My God, it wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but my theme is for people to come here and replenish their soul. So that is really, really important to me. So you can see I'm more the emotional kind of person where Craig is you know, uh, that's why I sent him to Shemekeda, because he's smarter than I am when it comes to school. <laughs> A perfect balance between you two. I think so. I think so. We've been married uh, for uh, 52 years now, and uh, it has not been easy, but it has been one life full of adventures, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of things. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. Uh -huh. And survived them. <laughs> But you know, when you come here, we, my concept of the whole thing is we just want people to come and enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not show and tell. It's not uh, to put a $3 million building in front of you, mm -hmm. you know, and dazzle you with that as a tasting room. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's actually built more conservatively. Yes. Very functionally. Yes. And You've got to tell them that you turned the sheep barns into a winery. <laughs> You've got and to we say did. that. <laughs> you know, and, and in 2015, had a shop, had two empty buildings. Let's build a winery. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because we tried for four years to make wine on a custom crush basis in other facilities. Mm -hmm. And the facilities bring in uh, custom crush people for mm -hmm. income. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to do what we were doing, and you're in a large production facility, you're the mouse in the corner, and you're in the way. Mm -hmm. And when you need a press, they're they're produced, they're they're running, you know, 200 tons through, and you're trying to do five, mm -hmm. and you can't get a press, you can't get the tanks, you have to wait, you're in the way, and it's really hard to do your craft that style. And we, I told Gabrielle. At the end of 14, the start of 15, if we're going to stay in this thing, we got to have our own place. Mm -hmm. And there is, to my knowledge, there's no place that 
is a custom crisis organic and biodynamic certified mm. where you can do that. So I said, not only are we going to do our own place, we're going to be fully certified. Mm. And we're going to allow people to do custom crush. And it also is required because we're small and you actually can't pay for the facility and the equipment with small production. <coughs> it just doesn't pencil. Mm -hmm. And so having run factories, I know this, and I go, okay, here's the volume this thing has to produce to cover its costs. And so we need this much of tonnage coming through it. And now we've got to develop enough customers mm -hmm. to, to do that with. And we were able to do that. Um, we're, um, we're a little borderline on the volume that we really need. But then again, the clientele is an important part. Mm -hmm. um, there's certain people that just don't belong here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and don't fit the facility. Mm -hmm and want to do things that we don't want to do, you know? <laughs> and so consequently, uh, we have a small group and uh, everybody gets to make their own wine. Uh, we have a winemaker. We, uh, they can have our winemaker make the wine and they can just be part of it or they actually can make their own, okay? Uh, and that's how the facility is set up. Um, and so we started only in 15, in the beginning of 15, in um, actually, it was December. That empty building. Uh, I said we got to get an office in here. We got this thing up and running. Um, I, I, we can try to do something with the tasting room. Well, before I got very far in the office, it was a tasting room. <laughs> I said, well, you got to leave enough space for for us, you know, just to to function. And it's worked out fine. Mm -hmm. And then in April, the first building was an empty shell, gravel floor, and we had to have it running by September 1, and we did, and wow. it was fully operational, and that was Terry Orovitz and myself and a couple guys, and Terry used to work for us, the part you missed is when we had no competes, we also built homes in McMinnville, mm -hmm. so we knew all about construction and I like doing things like that anyway and so we've built our own everything that's here and so we finished the, the winery and Terry and I go we made it <laughs> and I said now we're gonna have to go to the other building and do a barrel roll <laughs> thinking we had plenty of time mm -hmm. and we start on it and uh, we took an August no October and Gabby said, and we was working on it, she says, well, I'm going to have my Christmas party here. <laughs> <laughs> my Christmas party, you know. And, uh, and then, and I said, well, well, we probably have towards the end of December, maybe we can get something going. And then I find out she's going to have it, was the second week of December? First week. First week of mm -hmm. December. <laughs> and we don't even have bathrooms installed or anything. Well, it was there fully functional, mm -hmm. first of December. <laughs> and we really went, <laughs> we, I didn't really know if we could do it. But what really threw him off is that uh, I came in and it was not all done and ready to go for my party. Um, I said, now I want you to, before it's done, it still looks a bit like a sheep barn to me. And I said, I want you to hang three chandeliers in there. <sighs> 
and so we had to all rush like crazy find three chandeliers and they managed to hang three chandeliers in there and it is the most delightful place to um to uh, i think abby got her leg caught in there and i think she needs to be taken out of the tape and uh, out of this area. <laughs> you got her? There we, go. there we go. Well, the biggest thing about her chandeliers is because I, I, we have special lighting in there with no blue light and so forth. It's mm -hmm. all, all for, um, what? So you don't Mildo free, and yeah. Mildo and mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and all the wiring's underground. It's under the concrete. Mm -hmm. It's coming up in conduit. And we had no wiring for sconces and chandeliers <laughs> installed. <laughs> and so we had to quickly retro that thing. Yes. And, but she had her chandeliers. I do, and I still do. <laughs> and every girl deserves some bling bling, and that's my bling bling. <laughs> I love it. So that's actually how they started. They started out of necessity in 15. And uh, we did all three buildings in 2015. Amazing. Um, yeah. Then we tried to take a break. Yes. <laughs> uh, the vineyard's been planted um, over a period of time. So you'd put in blocks and then we'd have to slow down. You know, you spend enough money and what are we going to do next? And, and so there will be sometimes a year span or so between them before we could do another one. There's 16 blocks right now. There's 40 acres planted. Um, I think the varietals we picked were, were very good. Mm -hmm. um, the newest ones was a, a Riesling block. Mm -hmm. And Gabi kept wanting to make, well, once we're making wine. And she's got a tasting room. And then she's, she's learning all about Pinot Gris and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and so forth. And well, I would like to have some Riesling. Mm -hmm. I said, well, okay, maybe someday. No, I'd like to have it now. <laughs> You can't have it now. Well, why not? I said because we're state-grown fruit. We're, you know, that's that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And and I said okay. So then I did some research and I read all about the Riesling varietals and I said, well, it's got to be German. It's got to be an older varietal. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've actually found um, number nine and twelve Geisenheimers. Uh, they go clear back to the 15th century, and you read all about them, and we were able to get the, the vines. Mm -hmm. So there's two and a half acres, but exactly in two, nine and twelve, of the old Geisenheimers. And that's the first Riesling she had, what, two years ago mm -hmm. to make wine with? Mm -hmm. And at that point, we'd also started to experiment with different vessels. Mm -hmm. We started bringing in... Uh, we started with just uh, concrete eggs, mm -hmm. you know, besides uh, uh, oak vessel and, you know, stainless steel and all that. And uh, then we go, oh, we read about amphoras and, <laughs> and let's, let's try an amphora because our son sells oak barrels for Allery, mm -hmm. the French oak coopers. Mm -hmm. And he goes over there all the time and he's always back feeding us information. And I said, well, Nikki, that, you know, who's our son? That sounds interesting, so we bring in Amphora. Um, now we have four eggs. We have a Dolia. Mm -hmm. One of the first ones that have come into the United States. Uh, we have three Amphoras. Mm -hmm. And so 
the decision was, well, let's make our Riesling in, the, in an amphora. Of course, we don't know how it's going to come out. And uh, it, the combination between it and the amphora, perfect. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually how our Riesling is currently made. Mm -hmm. And that's its background. It's, uh, there's more and more um, fruit coming on now. And one thing about Riesling in the valley is it was some of the first things that were put in. It all got, most of it got ripped out. Mm -hmm. The whole problem is, is economics. Couldn't make any money with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pinot Gris is a similar. It is, uh, it's a vine that they grew for production that uh, the way it's handled, I'll try to say it kindly, it's overproduced, mm -hmm. and as soon as it hits a winery, it's just gut shot straight through. But it meets a price point, mm -hmm. and the price point is the whole criteria. And I personally like Pinot Gris. I go, no, we're going to treat it like Pinot. And we can't sell it for $7 or $6, but we're going to make something different. And we do, and we have a we have a Pinot Gris and the Doya Concrete Doya, completely different than anything else to try. Interesting. We've got Pinot Gris aged 18 months in oak. Um, remember, when we first did that. Somebody thought we were a bit crazy. Uh, we are. We are. But at the same token, <laughs> uh, we're trying to make it to be a very nice white wine, mm -hmm. not just to a price point. Mm -hmm. And so. We, we're doing things like that, and we're trying to see what vessels work the best, what vessels, what what barrels work the best on which blocks. Is it a punchin? Is it a 228? Out of what forest is it in? And uh, I also found that interesting. Um, you have to. I know all about marketing in the woodside and and uh, some of the stuff spins you put on things that. Um, don't necessarily mean a lot, uh, or it's just there, the terms and the names are there strictly for marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I started looking at the oak barrels, I go, well, how much is this is true? How much is this is hype? You don't know. <laughs> you listen to it, but yeah, you're selling an oak barrel, you want a thousand, twelve hundred dollars for it. You got to give me a story. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is, it matters. The age, the forest, the toast, it all matters. And, you know, because when you first start, you want to buy a Hungarian barrel. Why not? $700, $600. But you learn, you have to learn those things. And what works, and what works mainly for you, because what doesn't necessarily work for the next guy. And you learn that a particular barrel or particular cooperage, for instance, well, may work on, on uh, Pomardo 5, but it doesn't work on 777. Or it doesn't work in your, in his vineyard versus yours, because his fruit's different. So, now all these things we're, we're learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Well, as you can see, we started very late in our, uh, in our life. Um, Gabby's in the question industry. to me was, aren't you too old to do this? Yes. I said, no, yes. i got to do it now before I run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's very That's true. our story. <laughs> yes. So we've been 12 years in the wine industry and um, it, uh, we've had a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. The smart thing we did is, amongst a few others, um, is that we hired a winemaker. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that we said we couldn't learn mm -hmm. in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing was that we promised each other we would only use the grapes from our property to make our wines. Mm -hmm. And the um, so the other thing is that uh, we agreed on was that we would uh, only, did I say we would only make the wines from our grapes that we mm -hmm. grow right here? Yes. I did say that, so you can cut that out again. <laughs> and, uh, but we not only wanted to make good wine, we wanted to make interesting wine. Mm -hmm. And that is where the um, idea came f by using the very very old ways of making wines mm -hmm. in concrete and also the clay amphoras mm -hmm. and uh, people that come are fascinated by that um, the concrete vessels are uh, have also already been used in California for quite a while mm -hmm. um, uh, and we were a little slow in Oregon getting them but I see more and more wineries adding concrete mm -hmm. to make a more interesting wine the other thing is um, we felt that it is um, also a great extension from what we're doing in the vineyard Mm -hmm. how we care for our land and uh, how we handle uh, the growing part uh, in the vineyard and then also how we bring that into the winery um, and not forcing the wines to be the same uh, every single year. We are thriving to make the best wine ever from what the wine is showing us where it wants to go. Uh, on a yearly basis so you will not find our wines to taste the same every year so we thrive to make the best every year but we always have something to criticize about it so that keeps us going to make even something better or even different that is better for the next year and I think these different vessels have uh, done that for us mm -hmm. and uh, we love the slow um, uh, part of um, making the wine. We love it that it's all done in that one vessel and uh, the wine is left alone. And uh, uh, we love it uh, through fermentation as it creates this vortex where the wine is slowly moved around. And um, I, uh, there's a scientific way of um, explaining I'm sure what happens in these vessels I decided um, that was not for me my whole explanation is is that the marriage between the concrete or the uh, clay and the wine is this absolutely perfect marriage that creates a most beautiful wine that you just can't live without <laughs> so that is how I look at it
It's a good enough explanation, I think. Thank I you. Think so. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to back up and ask a question. You mentioned yes. early on when you're talking about talking about your decision to do biodynamic. Yes. Uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned that you were discouraged from it for profitability's sake. So tell me Correct. about over the years as biodynamics have become more popular and more slightly mm -hmm. more interested. Uh, have you found that to be true? Have you found that you're able to get some of your money back and that customers are sort of clamoring for biodynamic wines? I think more so all the time, more so all the time, mm -hmm. especially this younger generation, the millennium uh, uh, generation X, are we calling them, I think, and uh, they are seeking out uh, organic food, they're seeking out uh, uh, anything that they want to have a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they're the ones that are looking for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm hoping there are more and more, you probably have a different understanding. Okay, Craig has a different, uh, <laughs> it's all right. There, I think they are really looking for that. And uh, maybe we're all as a whole are now more look looking at that because um, too many people are sick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Too many people are sick, and uh, I delight in the customers coming here and drinking our wines, and I know in that wine there is no residue of any kind of chemicals, mm -hmm. and that is very important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, the gener new younger generation is going that direction and is demanding it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the whole wine industry hasn't totally caught up with that. Mm -hmm. We know that. And when I'm out there selling to distributors, I'm just like any other wine. Now I can tell my right. story to yeah it's price points it's it's still all about money mm -hmm. but if I go to a restaurant direct that restaurant is interested in my wine mm -hmm. that's what they want to say on their menu that it has been made with biodynamic grapes mm -hmm. um, that's important to them it adds to the uniqueness of that restaurant mm -hmm. it's not just their food that shines at that time it is the wine that shines as well so that is kind of how i see it now you have a different opinion well, pretty much yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. you start out with try to discourage me from doing what we're going to do mm -hmm. if we set our mind to it you're not going to discourage me. <laughs> you start right there second of all you got to understand that it isn't just economics. Mm -hmm. We wanted to set ourselves apart from everyone else, mm -hmm. set the highest standard we could go, and try to maintain that. And I didn't know what that was going to take. I had to listen to, yeah, it might cost more. I'd look around, you look at all the landscaping we put in here. Mm -hmm. We maintain that. It's not always perfect, but at the same time, how are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, you're used to depending upon Roundup and all the other products to allow you to do large areas. Mm -hmm. And we're 100% mechanical, you know. Um, or hand. Hand. That's mechanical. <laughs> Whether it's the tractor or the person, it's all, it's all done by hand. And, but we've been able to attain that. Mm -hmm. And then we keep going farther up the hill and we keep expanding it. And we've been able to control it. Um, 
Now coming back to, to just the biodynamic concept, when we started, few were interested. Um, to me, it was the highest standard we could hit, so that's the goal we're going to go after. Hmm? Uh, separated this from, from the mass commu community. I hope later on that helped us sell product and people would want our product because of that. Hmm? I found that is not totally true. Uh, a biodynamic produced wine or a company like Montenor who has a biodynamic vineyard also uh, were important. Hmm? You go to the rest of the wine industry, they like the term, but that's not what sets the goals. The goals are set at price, hmm? volume, you know. Um, so you have to find your own customer base mm -hmm. who understands what you do. And we had one that we no longer work with and they went commercial mm -hmm. and then they said, okay, well, we really want all your fruit. We want 100 tons, but here's the price. And I go, no. I said, there's just two reasons you understand this. That's not what we're about. And we won't sell at that price. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I'd be so disappointed our fruit went in that bottle that because it's going to be just mass produced. Mm -hmm. that, that's not where we, it's not where we belong. Mm -hmm. And they understood, you know, but they couldn't be a customer because we wouldn't meet the price points. Um, so now we have other people who, who aren't organic or biodynamic, uh, one, in, one in Washington, and they have a nice new winery. We made actually their first two vintages and now they're making their own. And we're important to them. Hmm? And that's the customer base that we have to support. Where it matters what we do. We don't necessarily get more money for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not at the bottom of the barrel. You know? Mm -hmm. And there were Californians last year come up here and I thought, this will be good for Oregon. They're coming up here and come buy fruit. And they lowballed everybody. Hmm? Just <laughs> cut her right to the nubbin. I go, I'm surprised. And they actually were here and they loved the place and they loved what they had but you were right down there with the rest of the troops mm -hmm. you might as well have been commercially farming and I go no this doesn't fit mm -hmm. and so we fit with the people that understand what we do appreciate what we do mm -hmm. and then we try to get long-term agreements with them mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. where we support each other we have we've had a couple of accounts that don't even come and check on us. I go, I send them, I send them the reports of the vineyard, I send them the spray schedules, I show them where the fruit's at, we'll do their own tests on it and run the bricks and everything for them. I said, come on out, take a look. Said, no, 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 no. He says, you know what you're doing. <laughs> you know what? So, so we appreciate that, mm -hmm. that there's trust. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what there has to be. And, and I, and we do contracts, but for me, if, it, if it's no better, Hmm. If it's no better than the handshake, we don't have a partnership, you know, we don't necessarily have a long-term agreement, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you got to trust each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there I differ with Gabi because on the com you might say the commercial vineyards uh, winery side, mm -hmm. I had one gentleman tell me, he says, how much is your food, da 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 da. It's organic, it's biodynamic, he knew all about us. He says, 
I'm not going to pay a dollar more for that. Then don't. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's your choice. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not overcharging. Mm -hmm. You know, so <clears throat> you see, it depends on the winery itself where that lands. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure some of them would be offended at me, but at the same token, um, they like to say a lot of things, but it all comes down to money. You know, and, and what site and location, and yes, they care about the fruit, but not always. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. not always the base. Sure. So there we have set ourselves apart, and I think staying true to those goals, staying true to as a state only, is run in an organic biodynamic uh, facility. And then you come to marketing, which I'm not involved in all, in, in the wine side. And uh, Gabby's got a story. She's got something to sell. Mm -hmm. And she finds people that appreciate what we do. And, and they're also willing to pay for it because not very many, um, for example, uh, our Pinot Gris that we have out, it's a skin contact Pinot Gris, I asked $24 for. That is high for Pinot Gris. Mm -hmm. But I'm very proud of that wine. I am proud of how we grew the grapes to make that wine. And um, if if I am proud of what I have created, I should be able to charge what I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. And people understand that they don't bat an eye. They really don't. But it's, it's, it's hard to develop the product, <clears throat> to be truthful. Um, for sure, way more awareness of biodynamics today mm -hmm. than even when we started. Mm -hmm. We started late. Uh, but it isn't to a point where, um, well, what should I say, uh, it's in demand. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some new ways that we're going to we're playing with, it's, you know, they call it natural. And I, and I go, how is different as natural and biodynamic? <laughs> Come on guys, we're playing with words. But it also is a style of how you make it. And uh, won't be long, and he's going to have a natural wine coming through with a different label on it. And um, we want to fit those niches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't want to lose track of the standard where you still need to send it in and, and get in the 90s and get your points. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll also say we won't do some of the things that it requires to hit the highest number, because mm -hmm. then you are dialing it towards um, an institution and opinions, mm -hmm. and not necessarily what you would like to make or how you like to make it. For instance, if you hit it hard with oak and your California style, it it takes away from the fruit and the vineyard and the site. Mm -hmm. So now, now you got choices. Are you into points, or are you into who you are, <laughs> and how your flavors come out? Mm -hmm. So those are all decisions you have to make through there. Mm -hmm. Sure, you want the highest points. You want your own your own wine style, but that all of this doesn't happen. Sure. Yeah. No, it's it's a, a person's opinion.
Yeah. And people have different opinions, different tastes, and uh, we're very fortunate uh, that we fit some of those opinions, mm -hmm. and some of them, some of the opinions we just don't fit, but we pr might not ever fit. Mm -hmm. So, and I accept that totally. It's not a problem. It's easier in the sheep business when you're on the, the big shows. <laughs> you knew the judges. <laughs> no, I didn't and think that was much easier yeah, than this. <laughs> believe me, you brought the animal with the right grooming on it for that judge. <laughs> where it may not be the one for the other one. Mm -hmm. And you learn those things. But those are animals that are a little different. Wine is not like that, you know. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, really. I think it is because I also believe that people make the wine to please that particular judge. Oh, they absolutely do. So Hands now down. we're comparing sheep with wine. <laughs> Where have we ended up? Ask us another this, question. This conversation's way off the rails I know now. it is. Ask us well, another we don't, question. We don't make wine to fit a judge. No, Whereas that we don't. Sheep, that we can don't. Yes, you can. Regroom it and try to fit his style. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Good, I like anyway. that. Yes. You mentioned to me when we were conversing before the interview yes. and when your email was about sort of uh, kind of fitting in with Oregon's pioneers and kind of re having this kind of respect for Oregon's wine pioneers, yes. even though you're kind of late to the game. So tell me what you meant by that and, and sort of uh, kind of how, when you were getting started, if there were people you looked to as role models or as for, uh, for expert opinion or anything like that. Um, no, um, I, um, I have huge respect for the pioneers of the Oregon wine industry. They paved the way for us and they made it a lot easier for us to start when we started. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's amazing uh, to read some of the books some of them wrote mm -hmm. and uh, Susan Sokolblasser with her book where she explains uh, how her husband had to have her his job in the uh, in uh, Portland as a professor I believe it was at Oregon State and she was in the vineyard managing with a child in her backpack you know mm -hmm. uh, those are amazing stories amazing stories and um, uh, I just looked upon them with huge respect and um, we did have some, um, some um, I think uh, Rudy uh, from Montenor was a dear friend of ours mm -hmm. and uh, Craig really did uh, get along with him very well and they had long conversations about different yeah, things. I met him through Chemeketa <coughs> Right. our classes were there. And then I started just talking to him, and we were on the same wavelength. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a great friendship. It was a good friendship. Mm -hmm. It still is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But bottom line is, uh, they paved the way for us, and uh, um, but everybody has their own um, steps to take, mm -hmm. and so. In a way, we're taking them together, but bottom line, you have your own steps to take, and you've got to do what's right in your vineyard, and every vineyard is different. Um, now, I like um, how the, oh, I like how the community has always come together to preserve the uniqueness of the Oregon wine industry. Mm -hmm. The Oregon wine industry, in my opinion, is extremely unique, and I hope that we can keep it that way. Mm -hmm. um, 
where do you go and um, uh, still meet the owners uh, in the tasting room mm -hmm. and you can take to them Craig comes out here once in a while and just loads somebody up and gives them a tour of the vineyard and we don't see him for three hours <laughs> and it's crazy it's crazy I said Craig can you just make it a half hour tour rather than three hours but uh, uh, it doesn't it, it, it did it doesn't matter to him he's so passionate about and wants to share it with people if they're interested and, I want them to have and, a good time yes <laughs> and this is a uniqueness we are also I don't feel we're a pompous mm -hmm. We don't want to show in Oregon uh, who can build the next biggest building and tasting room and marble floors and marble this and spend a lot of money on it. Mm -hmm. It is it is more earthy. Mm -hmm. and it's an experience. I, and the earthiness of the state, um, I hope we will not lose. Mm -hmm. That's my greatest, greatest. I know we have larger companies moving in. That is okay. That is okay. As long as we can keep this core, so quote, goodness mm -hmm. of our state mm -hmm. intact. Mm -hmm. That's how I like to look at it. To me, here, the, the little difference in this is, is um, you can go to the California wineries, it's all show and tell. You know? Uh, how much larger can you be? Mm -hmm. how, you know, how much more grand can you be? And I understand that, you know. And people sometimes flock to that. Mm -hmm. You know, here, you drive in. We want you to just we're different and enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, have a good time. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's that's what it's about here. You know, on on my side of the of what I do, mm -hmm. which is this, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, but I have to tell you that Craig is the big rock behind this whole project. Mm -hmm. He truly is. It's his vision. It is, um, he pulls it together <clears throat> every which way but loose, right? <laughs> is that how you, how you say it? And uh, he is always in the background. He doesn't like to be in the foreground. So um, I myself don't like to be in the background. I like to be up front and tell my story and share people with it. And when people are coming and they're kind of grumbly and they leave with a big hug for me, trust me, that is what I delight in. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, this is what I love to do. It's the first thing that I have in my whole life, I've been really, really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had other businesses. I did my thing, but it wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. I did it to support my husband, and um, it, we, we did it together. And uh, But now this right here, the vineyard, I feel so fortunate to live on a piece of property that is so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. and get up every morning and see the vines and the views and uh, ever once in a while we can get away and uh, go up on our observation deck which is absolutely gorgeous and uh, see the view um, that goes all the way um, uh, south to uh, Mary's Peak in Corvallis and then look at the coastal mountains and it's, um, it's truly a magical place. 
and I'm so thankful for that, that we were able to land here mm. and can take care of this beautiful, beautiful piece of property and uh, encourage other people to um, take care of their land like we do. We're a work in process. This thing is not done. Um, I don't want to deviate from it too much, but we there's 86 acres. Are you aware of that? Oak Savannah Wildlife Habitat. Well, above our vineyard, we started about two and a half years ago, and I finally found someone who was interested in helping us think through how to change something that was not well done in the past. Mm -hmm. It got logged, it got left, it was a mess. Mm -hmm. And there's 86 acres of it. It's almost dominant oak. But it had a lot of furs in it from from uh, people uh, actually putting them in, had cherries and so forth. So um, I guess the shortest story, because I had people from the wood industry come years back, what can I do with it? I want to restore it. And they all want to cut it down and put softwood in it. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. Second of all, I'm in the hardwood business. You know, I know what oak trees are worth. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in Oregon, they're worth almost nothing. Mm -hmm. You go to the Midwest and the East Coast, we're paying three and four and five times the price for it. You pay for a softwood tree. But they're out here, they're considered in the way. And so, no, that doesn't work. So, finally, I met Amy, Yamhill Water and Soil, NRCS, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Mm -hmm. And uh, my whole interest in them was the baselines and the program and the thought pattern and how do you do this and restore it. And they've been extremely helpful. And we're two and a half years into it. It's 86 acres. We're doing it all ourselves. Uh, we're all done except for back corner over there. Uh, I got to finish that. Uh, we've got roads in through it now. We're going to put walking trails through it. Uh, it's all going back into native plants. She, they asked me how, in the very start, how are you going to manage this? And I said, well, how do you manage it? Well, you've got an idea how they manage it, okay? And I said, well, we're organic, we're biodynamic, we're whole farm input. We can't do it. And I said, if that means that we can't work together, <laughs> I guess we can't work together. And they're, they're stunned because how are you going to manage 86 acres that's going to come back and briars and thistles and mm -hmm. everything else? I said, well, I can't completely tell you the answer. I know it's mechanical. Okay. Take a look. I could have t told you in the beginning here, I don't know how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. So that's another challenge. That's all I looked at it as. And uh, we're a long ways into it now. And how does that relate? It's part of the whole package. Mm -hmm. It's what we do. And you want the wildlife habitat. And we've got 450 bird nests in it now, of all different types. And i got to commend the guy that builds them. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's an older gentleman, probably younger than me. He, he's retired, and he builds birdhouses, and he's passionate about it trying to keep the birds' uh, population up there where they, because they lose their habitats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you give him restoration wood, 
and he uses an old Alaskan chainsaw and he saws the lumber out of it. He builds the boxes. The last group that came over even had some kids helping him and they're, they're signing their names and stuff on them. He gives them to you. He does not want any money. He does not want any wine. <laughs> and, and he gives you instructions. Now they need to go up like this. There's the heights. There's the directions. And uh, I appreciate it because he's trying to help the restoration projects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everything I've learned about that is that all the species and things that we've lost, it's all about habitat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it you know? came out of our our whole conversation and thinking process that um, uh, when we joined the 40 other wineries to sign an oak accord. Mm -hmm. But we were already in this other I program. know we were already in it, uh, but um, we had talked about it. And what has happened is in the last 50 years of the Oregon wine industry that too many of the Oregon white oaks have been cut down and slash burned or cut up for firewood. The, nobody really knew what to do with them. And of course, as you keep removing, the uh, Oregon white oaks are becoming extinct. There's less than 3% less than the valley, and the whole valley was white oak. Yeah. It was not sulfur. Right. And so we got uh, to be part of about 40, and it might be even more now, wineries that came together and signed an Oak Accord, and we are part of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means we are promising no longer to cut down any more of the Oregon white oaks to make room for vineyards. And uh, we were already in that whole thinking process and so that, therefore we set these 86 acres aside and said now we're going to do our part. I will admit there's one section we separated out uh, for hopefully a, one more vineyard mm -hmm. but it was pre-planned, it was on all the drawings, it's this little spot right here whether it ends up there, we don't know, but it's, uh, but the, eight, the rest of the 86 is in, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's truly a, a uh, and again, uh, it, it's, uh, I have to give Craig the credit and his foresights that uh, we work, we brought these back to um, an oak savanna, um, we we took everything out, you know, that would take the light away from them, mm -hmm. and then the reseeding of grasses and um, um, uh, native uh, wildlife flowers that uh, we uh, planted as well, and uh, the nat nature paths that we're going to put in, so people that come here can walk through there and enjoy that. It's a rough uh, canvas right now out there. But yeah, it's, it's it looks actually fabulous in my opinion because you should have seen it before and yeah, it looks so. like somebody really cares for it mm -hmm. and up on that observation deck which is right below that forest okay um, we have private tastings up there we have uh, small dinners up there I do not need any music up there it is the laughter of the people <laughs> and the sound of the, all of the songbirds that have come back since our restoration. It is the most delightful place to be. 
and um, uh, I just like again I have to credit Craig for that uh, that he had that vision and uh, brought the songbirds back mm -hmm. and created um, a place for insects to come back and butterflies to come back that n were no longer there. Mm -hmm. And I was always under the impression that songbirds would love a nice dense forest where they can hide and uh, be great. I was wrong. It is an open, airy forest that they love. Yeah. And so with all these different bird boxes with different holds, which um, uh, the holds are um, uh, making um, uh, a home uh, for uh, different types of uh, songbirds, of course, you know, the, the little holes are for the little tiny ones and then bigger holes would be another type of uh, bird and I'm not that versed with all the names, but I love them all. <laughs> and <laughs> with that in mind, and now 400 boxes hanging up there, it is delightful to be up there and see them flying around and being noisy and and when I tell people about it and they pay attention to it, how many vineyards can you go to where it's, it, uh, it is people laughing, enjoying themselves, and you can listen to birds. Mm -hmm. And that is that project up there, and uh, we are just absolutely thrilled the way I, it turned out. I can out. visualize what it will be like. Mm -hmm. I can also see it where it is right now. Um, it'll be a fun place just to go walk through. Mm -hmm. You know, but it has to, um, it's, in, it's in its creation. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they look a little rough at first, but you bring them around. Mm -hmm. And for instance, we have to mow it once a year. You know, and that's a task. <laughs> yes, mean, it is. <laughs> you got rocks and everything around in there, you know. And I've got areas where I built big rock piles, and I'll eventually go and move them around where they make sense because we can't have them in an open area because then we can't maintain it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's an interesting project <laughs> it's bigger than i thought it would be <laughs> it definitely is it definitely is we do it on our own yeah mm -hmm. but yeah. it'll be something that'll be for hopefully um, be that way so other generations forward can enjoy it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the most common thing you see on a weekend if you see me come down, I try not to say anything to anybody. I'm greasy, I'm dirty, I've been running a cat, you know. <laughs> I kind of go, hi. <laughs> I'll walk in, I'll give me a drink or something, people, who's that? Yes. <laughs> but I, I like doing it. Yes. And because I still have a day job, I can't do it during, during the day. During the week, no. So it's my evenings, it's my weekends. Mm -hmm. But I don't mind doing it, you know, because I'm creating something. And the last guy you want to go sit on a beach and read a book. It's really too bad. No. It's I really too that. bad. <laughs> because that's what I love to do. And so when we sometimes uh, um, do go to get away a little bit, and uh, I'm just, oh, I'm just relaxing a little bit, and Craig will go over to me and lean over and he'll say, let's blow this chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> I have a guy here uh, working with me, I've known Jerry, Terry, mm -hmm. who helped us build all this stuff. And he just come back from a quick vacation and in three days, I, I already knew, he was ready to come home. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> because we're... we're um, You're too much alike. Too That's much the alike. problem, yeah. yes. Yeah. Any other questions you have Just for us? a couple more for you. I'm sure. curious. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned the kind of the ATV tours and yes. the Pinot and Puppies. Yes. Uh, tell me about sort of the events you're offering yes. and, and sort of kind of your marketing philosophy behind it. Why, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. Oh, okay. Um, so our... Uh, um, our one thing that um, people absolutely love is a um, is a vineyard tour. It's about an hour and a half. I pack all of the wines up in the RTV, including the people, and um, then we go uh, from block to block, mm -hmm. and they get to taste the wines from the block that the grapes came from. Mm -hmm. And they also have to stop at my compost pile. <laughs> because the compost pile is one of the very important parts of biodynamic farming. And I will show them, I will dig in there, remove the straw and dig up a big um, handful of uh, soil and um, I make them smell it because healthy s soil smells wonderful. And they, now some, some of them are a little squeamish about it, but by the time I'm through with them, they love it. I promise you, I promise you. The soil is full of microorganisms and full of worm and they truly are amazed. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, the, that's what we feed the vines with. That's what we feed the vines with, right. And that is all part of that package. And uh, then we, uh, I may have them go all the way up on, on the observation deck which is right below our um our oak forest mm -hmm. and uh, that is where they overlook most of the <coughs> pinot noirs mm -hmm. the different um different uh, clones of Pinot Noir and this beautiful view and uh, that's where they get to taste uh, the Pinots mm -hmm. up there and then they come back down here um, they get to choose their favorite uh, another splash of their favorite wine that they had and uh, um, uh, and then they get a nice little uh, cheese plate or charcuterie platter depending on who doesn't like meat or who does <laughs> like meat. <laughs> so we work that out and uh, but by the time I'm through with them they're very hungry and they sit here and enjoy um, the time for a while. Uh, that has been very very um, uh, popular. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that has really been very popular, um, we have partnered with Precision Helicopter. That's new, yeah. Yeah. And, well, it was last two year. Years, yeah. yeah, two years now. It is... Um, um, they are bringing customers to different wineries. Mm -hmm. And uh, we put in... Um, up by the observation deck a pad mm -hmm. for the helicopter to land and they fly in and then we do a private tasting up there on the deck mm -hmm. and that has been very popular mm -hmm. and so um, I, I, I thought that most people would really love it and enjoy the view until and most of them do until one day somebody asked me well, where is your tasting room? Where is your winery? And I said, guess what? You're not going to get to see that today <laughs> because I thought you might enjoy this view better than seeing another tasting room and winery. And you know, for some reason that seemed so odd to me, but yet 
it makes sense to because that's what they were used to going to and I said uh, my tasting room today is the outdoors <laughs> and uh, people most of the time just absolutely love it sure. up there we make it very special and I get to tell my story and they have lunch up there and um, uh, that is something that we really like to set. The other thing we set ourselves apart from is that um, we have once a year a very, very old-fashioned German Christmas dinner mm -hmm. in our barrel room with the chandeliers. And um, uh, that seats about uh, 65 people and we're sold out every year and we are partnering with a uh, with a restaurant called Glockenspiel mm -hmm. out of uh, Mount right. Angel mm -hmm. and they truly know how to make good German food and um, we are um, uh, we it took, takes me a week to decorate that place, but the decorations are all <clears throat> very old-fashioned decorations. And it all stems from my memories, uh, what my mother did when I still lived at home and was a small child. And we didn't have a lot of money. I grew up after the war mm -hmm. and um, uh, things were really hard to find. So we don't have glamorous things on the on the tree, uh, but um, our ornaments were red apples. Mm -hmm. And my mother would buy them and then she'd polish them and they were real shiny. And she said, uh, after we hang them on the tree, we can eat them. <laughs> so that was very important to her, you know. It wasn't just something that you buy, spend a lot of money on and then you pack it away. We were able to eat them afterwards. And to this day, I hang red apples on those Christmas trees and just the old-fashioned wooden ornaments mm -hmm. and straw ornaments that were... Um, that we used to. I even am brave enough to put the little candles on mm -hmm. the, a few candles on each tree and uh, uh, and during the um, during the dinner I will light them for a few moments to just kind of welcome everybody and it's um, and, and then everybody gets afraid and uh, <laughs> then I blow him out right away. <laughs> so, yes, that is, um, I could have done a French dinner, I could have done Italian and uh, what I need to do is with my marketing, I need to set myself apart from everyone else, but um, also be true to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to be who I am. And I'm not French, I'm not Italian. I love French food, love Italian food, but I needed to be, I needed to be who I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that has worked the best for me. It really has. Mm -hmm. So that is, I hope I answered absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you talked a little about your future with your Oak Savannah. Um, yeah. Any other plans for the future here? Anything, expansion of vineyards or anything else no. you're going to try? No, no more expansion <laughs> of vineyard. No, 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 no more projects. It's set aside. It's up there 600 feet. <laughs> it's cut out. 10 acres. It's about 10 acres. 
Well, we don't. We can't. Eight, maybe. Well, okay. we can't come to a conclusion what we want to plan. So plan. So let's not do it at all, <laughs> well, please. The, the whole thing is the oak savanna has to be done. Mm -hmm. it, it's a project that once you stop on it, it's hard to to get restarted and finish. Mm -hmm. So I've got to. You got to bear down. It takes another six months. It takes a year. You got to get through that because once you've got it in. Then it's all maintenance, mm -hmm. and you've done all the hard work, mm -hmm. and so that's number one priority, and uh, that'll be done by next year. Uh, I wanted it done this summer, but um, actually you could still use it, but it's not the way it's supposed to. Be. And it was, needs trail signs in it, and it needs some basic things, mm -hmm. and uh, it's got to be cleaned up one more time this year, uh, and then we got to finally finish seeding everything, and then it is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, you can think about doing something different. Um, and that's the only thing that I personally have in mind. <laughs> I was in trouble when I started this, so, <laughs> but it turned out okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> but what we need to do is what the problem is with Craig is he has all these visions and then he starts another project mm -hmm. and then he starts a next project. But he expects everybody else to take care of the projects that he has started, <laughs> okay, or created so he can go to the next project. Mm -hmm. We have run out of time, Craig Healer. We cannot take care of all of your projects that you have out there and we can't be adding any more new projects mm -hmm. that's how it is just life saying goes on. I mean, that's on that's on tape now so yes that's, 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 yes this is yes what about as you look into the future for oregon wine obviously you've see, started to see some changes in it you mentioned some of them earlier what do you see as you look uh, maybe a decade down the road for the oregon wine industry I have no clue. I have no clue. I don't have a crystal ball. I just will, don't know. It will continue to expand. Hmm? Yes, that's probably and true. And eventually, larger, not eventually, they're already here. Larger groups are going to come in and you're going to see some pretty good sized facilities installed. Mm -hmm. The little mom and pops, kind of like us and so forth, they'll still be there. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. But I see more impact from California, Washington, and the investors. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. they still, I mean, we're still extremely inexpensive up here compared to what they're used to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, well, it's going to be a complete Plus change. also a climate change mm -hmm. um, will bring people here because we're yet, even though we are really experiencing climate change, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was a time where we said, do not plant a vineyard above 750 feet because you can't get your grapes mm -hmm. uh, ripe. People are now planting at a thousand feet mm -hmm. in anticipation of the warmer climates. And so that is something that is, yeah, we're moving that direction. And uh, other uh, people coming from warmer climates are recognizing that. And if they want to continue making wine, um, they have to find something in a cooler climate so to make it. What I read and is Napa hit 350,000 an acre. Mm -hmm. and, you know, 
Well, economically, you cannot pay that and install a vineyard and make any money mm -hmm. return on your on your cash. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so economics will come to a point where whoever owns Napa and that whole valley will be fine. Mm -hmm. But buying property there, installing new facilities, uh, I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, massive investors could, where cash doesn't matter. <laughs> but practicality, cash flow-wise, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So they can come up here and it can work. They can go to Washington, it can work. Mm -hmm. you know, the farther north they go, uh, the cooler the climate gets. Mm -hmm. you know, our friends are in, in Port Townsend, and he's behind us, and he's planting varietals that we probably wouldn't plant. Mm -hmm. And he's cool. You know, mm -hmm. and he's smart for doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, also mention that um, we are also very proud to be in the Eola Amity Hills AVA. Um, we are kind of separated from all of the other AVAs that are further north of us mm -hmm. and if people are coming from Portland that is their first stop and of course that is where uh, the pioneers settled also mm -hmm. you know that's where it all started that area so we are a little bit of um, uh, more removed AVA mm -hmm. But nevertheless, this is an AVA that is amazing. The soil in this area, the climate and the wines that are being produced uh, and the uh, grapes are being produced in the vineyards here. We are predominantly vineyards, uh, only about 26 wineries. But the wines that are being produced by such well-known names that are coming from this area are amazing are amazing and they are worldwide known <laughs> and uh, so i just wanted to give a little prop up for our AVA <laughs> of which I happen to be the press of these this year um, that uh, we would love for people to get to know our AVA more mm -hmm than it has been and uh, we are also very proud of not giving our grapes away inexpensively we are asking a good price for it a reasonable, a reasonable price for it and um, we uh, feel that um, it is truly um, what's the good word for it what can we use for it it's truly um, you're gonna have to cut this one out until I find the right word I can't believe it no. but we should be proud of, uh, of asking that and it's truly something that we can stand behind mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you see what I'm saying mm -hmm. Um, don't push us to and and uh, come up and uh, get a cheap price out of that mm -hmm. just because we can't maybe sell at that moment the grapes mm -hmm. we've got to stick with our prices and be proud of it because it's uh, yeah 
Mm -hmm. Basically, that's how I how, how I see it. Yeah, yeah. There has been a, a program that uh, we in the AVA have followed, which is a um, which is a um, um, powdery mildew detection oh. system that was um, that started with a um, professor at the University of Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State. Oh shush. That's okay. Thank you. Make sure <laughs> Oregon State. Oregon okay. State. <laughs> this is a Sorry. first commercial pilot program of it. It is. Mm -hmm. And there are ten wineries that um, have purchased spore traps and put them in their vineyard. And these spore traps are being um, uh, checked on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And we, within 24 hours, we as vineyards get a report back. Of everybody, not just us. Yeah, everybody. And everybody can see the reports mm -hmm. and see which vineyard has what numbers. And we think that is so exciting that we as an AVA can do this together mm -hmm. because if somebody for example has a lot of um, uh, spores showing <clears throat> uh, in the upper vein in, uh, that is above me mm -hmm. and the wind goes this direction I better make sure I do my spraying job against powdery mildew um, because mm -hmm. it's bound to be coming this direction and this has been really fascinating, really fascinating this is a for us. Program. And yes. The theory was <coughs> that they could help a farm, uh, a vineyard manager, if your spore count isn't there, why are you spraying? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you spray, if you say one or two sprays, <coughs> consequently, it'd pay for the equipment alone. Well, in our case, we haven't, even though we we're showing zeros, we're on our sprays, because okay? we're all preventative. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, that thing makes you watch it. Yes. Because we put it in our hotspot. Everybody has a hotspot. Ours is Chardonnay up there on the hill. And there's one area in it wants to get powdery mildew. But we don't see it. And we do not see it. So we, I but said... they know, detect it. I said, well, it, but it gives a false reading on the whole vineyard. So technically, we should have three of them here, but they were limited to how many they could run. Mm -hmm. So we have one. <coughs> we put it in the hot spot. We're rolling along, and our numbers are right. And all of a sudden, you got a spore count. You look at it; it's making you pay attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you looks fine. Put the next spray on it; looks fine. Spore count jumps to 29. Hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Next one, which is are quick behind each other. 57. Whoa! <laughs> These guys are here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But we and, can't see them. That's the interesting part. So we, we adjust. It's making you adjust. It's making you pay attention. My point really is, without it, you think you're fine. Mm -hmm. You have no concept. Until it's too late. Until you finally physically see it, mm -hmm. if you do. And, uh, which is generally what happens, mm -hmm. you know? And so we've stayed right up, but I will say that when she jumped this last time, I was two days after my other spray, I, I adjusted, I changed mix, and I went right back and re-sprayed the darn thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No. So, so to, for us, it costs us more money rather than saving, but you're saving your crop mm-hmm. that would otherwise be destroyed by mildew. It's making you aware. Yes, yes. Now, I wouldn't, in maybe over time and perfecting the system, when she's running zeros, you could drop a spray. Mm-hmm. But some things are, are we're using her, I mean, kelp and humusol and mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with powdery mildew. That has to do with plant health. Mm-hmm. So, but but at the same token, uh, you might just go ahead and drop sprays. Mm-hmm. And we'll use, if, you're, if there's nothing out there and you're spraying, you wasted your money. Yes, so absolutely. I understand that part. Mm-hmm. I just felt that now we're into it, it's an extreme awareness system. Mm-hmm. You can see what's going on mm-hmm. that you can't do it any other way. Sure. And our whole hope is that we're working with Amy Perez mm-hmm. and um, she was the undergraduate under the professor at Oregon State and his name totally escapes me, I'm sorry. Um, but we are hoping that other AVAs will catch on to that as well and that maybe our whole Willamette Valley will eventually have this available. Okay. One more question for you. Yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier you talked about uh, you, you guys have been married a long time. Yes. You've had, you had businesses together a long time and now yes. you're in the wine industry. What's the secret of a successful marriage working, to, working together the way you have? My opinion is, is let each figure out what you're good at and let the other person do what they're good at mm-hmm. and don't interfere with it much. Sure, you got to communicate and all that, but like here, I'm, I'm on the winery, the vineyard side of it, Gabby's in the finished product and marketing side of it, and she loves dealing with the people and so forth. Let her do that let her, don't, and leave it alone, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I think that's helpful. Your choice. Your, your, your turn. <laughs> I spent my whole life working, so would you know that? I should tell you a story. Mm-hmm. I'm fearful. <laughs> <laughs> Every year we try to create a, a good reserve of Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And um, uh, Craig and I were this uh, two years ago for 2016 uh, toward the um, aging toward the end of the aging. We tasted the barrels to find just the perfect wine f- to create that reserve. And Craig had his favorite blend, and I had my favorite blend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, Craig, we only make one reserve. And I said, I'm not giving up my reserve, my blend. Craig says, I'm not giving up my blend. I said, oh, honey, I said, we'll make two reserves. But I'm putting your name on the label. So if nobody buys it (laughs) and and uh, uh, I know at least whose blend it was. I have eaten crow on a daily basis since we released that wine because people have loved it. That is what our marriage is like. It'll probably give you a good idea. And I'm not going to 
say any more. <laughs> that is wonderful. I, I love it. Thank you. Uh, that's all the questions that we have for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for all of this. Is there is there anything that we should have asked that we didn't? Anything we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? I don't think so. I think you did a great job. I loved, it's been my honor to have you here. I must tell you that. It truly is. And we're very excited that we won't be totally forgotten <laughs> when we are in your archive. <laughs> That's awesome. It will be wonderful. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you both so much. Very we yes. really, You're really very appreciate welcome. your time and your answers here and your hospitality, of course. And thank you. We'll let you off the hook. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.